You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. There's an old story. A lot of you probably have heard it. It's one of those that has kind of a moral to the story, but it's about two frogs. One day they were looking for food and they inadvertently together hopped into the same pail of milk. And the sides of this bucket were so slippery, no matter what they tried, they couldn't get out of it. And so they started swimming around, swimming around, swimming around. Finally, the younger of the two frogs, he just said, you know, I'm exhausted. I can't keep doing this. Besides, it's futile. And so he decided to stop swimming and he drowned. The older frog, he said, you know what, as long as I've got an ounce of strength, I'm going to just keep going. And so he did that. He persevered. He kept swimming and swimming and swimming. And after several hours of swimming, all of a sudden this older frog felt something beneath him. You see, all of his swimming had started to churn the milk into butter, and now he was able to hop out of that bucket. And the moral of the story is this. Those who don't give up, and persevere may be in for a pleasant surprise. You may find this hard to believe, but that little story has a lot to do with the theme of Peter's letter to the Christians in Asia Minor. If you have your Bible, you want to turn to 1 Peter. We're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1 today, and we're going to start this verse-by-verse study through the uh, book of 1 Peter. The church that Peter was writing to was a group of people who were under serious persecution. And it would have been very easy for them to look at their circumstances, see how hopeless it was, and just throw in the towel. It would be very easy for them to walk away from it and quit. But Peter writes them this letter, and in essence he's saying, keep swimming. Whatever you do, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep swimming. So, we want to look at the introduction of this letter. It starts with this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to, the, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is the greeting of this letter that, that Peter writes. And as we discussed last week, at the beginning of it, he introduces himself. Peter, an apostle of Jesus. I know him, Peter's saying. I was with him. I was one of his guys. And then he identifies the people who he's writing to. He calls them God's elect. And you remember we talked a little bit about this last week. We talked about this topic of election and that there are two basic schools of thought with regard to this discussion. Calvinism and Arminianism. And both of these agree that God chooses some to be saved. The key difference lies in the fact that Calvinism believes that election is unconditional, that God just makes a decision, you're going to be saved and you're not. While Arminianism gives man some free will in this discussion, it believes that it is conditional. Now, what, as we talked about last week, what does it mean that election is conditional. Well, it means that God has specified in advance the conditions that a sinner must meet in order to be chosen for salvation. These conditions are clearly explained in the New Testament. They're faith in Jesus, repentance of your sin, confession, and baptism. 
These acts are decisions that we make. No one can make them for us. But we make them in order to be chosen by God for salvation. Peter was writing to a group of people, regardless what they were facing, they had taken these steps. They had taken action on these specific conditions. They were God's elect. He says at the end of verse 2, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now it's interesting because if you know anything about letters at that time that were written in, among Greeks, it would have been common for him to use the word greeting or greetings at this point. That would have been a common part of the form of a letter in that day. But Peter substituted the word grace instead. And Paul often did the same. This grace that Peter references is a key. It's a key to enduring persecution and suffering. Not just for those in the first century. It's a key for us as well. Remember, the people that Peter is writing to are facing tremendous persecution. The Roman government and their pagan neighbors. Simply because they're Christians. That was the only charge that they were guilty of. Being followers of Jesus. And this grace that Peter writes about is from God. And it is this grace that opens the door to salvation. So over the next several verses, as Peter launches into this letter to encourage the churches in Asia Minor. He focuses on the discussion with regard to salvation. Now there's a key thought here. And the key thought is this. We have hope today to keep going forward because of salvation. We have hope to keep going because of salvation. Often in a Greek letter... The next sentence following the greeting is one where the writer is referring to a prayer that he has offered to a God or a group of gods on behalf of the health and well-being of the people he's writing to. But Peter takes a completely different approach. Look what Peter writes. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, hallelujah, right? He starts right out of the gate praising God. As Peter begins to describe the hope that we have in salvation, he bursts out in praise to the Almighty God. Here he starts counting God's blessings. That's what we want to do this morning as we look at this text. We want to count the blessings that we have because of salvation. And there are a number of them that Peter brings out in this text. The first we see is in verse 3, the second part of verse 3. He says this, In his great mercy, he, he's talking about God, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's great mercy has been demonstrated to us through a new birth that we've been given, a new birth into a living hope. Peter uses this imagery of the birth of a brand new baby to remind his readers that the very first blessing that we have in, that because of salvation is the, the Christian is part of God's family. When you come to Christ, when you surrender your life to Him, you are baptized into Christ Jesus, you become part of the family of God. That's part of salvation. Through this new birth that He talks about, we have become the children of God. We have a seat at His table. We're part of His family. And this new birth is not just that. But it's a picture of a fresh start. 
This new birth is a do-over, if you will, or a mulligan. The hope that we have is that God gives us the chance to start again. Think about it. Once the ingredients of life are mixed together, we can't separate them apart. But God can give you a second chance. Once that word leaves your mouth, you can't grab it and bring it back. It's already out there and the word has been said and, and, it's, and its intent has, been, has landed on someone's heart or in someone's mind. But God can give you a second chance. Once Humpty Dumpty fell, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That's deep stuff right there. Okay? Hang with me. But God can give you a second chance. If you had a, if you had a chance... To reset the course of your life, would you take it? You know, it's kind of a funny question because a whole lot of people in this room have. They took God up on that. It's a second chance. Thomas Edison was working on this crazy contraption that he referred to as the light bulb. And it took a team of men 24 hours to actually create the very first light bulb. And the story goes that Edison, once they were finished with the very first light bulb, that he gave it to one of his young helpers and asked him if he would take it upstairs to where it would be stored. And this young man nervously carried the light bulb up the stairs. Every step reminding him of all that was invested in this glass piece of art, this piece of work, this piece of science. He probably, you can probably guess... What happened next? The young man got to the very top of the stairs and he dropped it. I don't know if his name was Butterfingers or not. But Edison had confidence in him and he dropped it. So Edison and his team spent another 24 hours and they put together the second light bulb. And do you know what Edison did? He wanted to rest. He was exhausted as you can imagine. So he asked the same young man if he would take this light bulb and carry it upstairs. Maybe he thought, what are the odds? Surely he wouldn't drop two of them, right? The case is he gave this guy a second chance. When a person is born again into Jesus Christ, they get a second chance. They are a new creation. Their sins are washed away, and they become part of the family of God. Well, Peter goes on in verse 3, and he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All of this happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God gave us salvation because Jesus rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, he conquered death, which was the main power, the main authority that Satan had over us. And once you put your faith into Jesus Christ, Satan's power is eviscerated. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our eventual victory over death. Because we're aligned with him. We're part with him. And he overcame death. And now the power that allowed him to do that is available to us as well. Well, Peter goes on in verse 4 and he says, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter describes our salvation as an inheritance. Now that we're children of God, 
Peter announces that we have an inheritance. Just like your parents may have left you an inheritance that when they passed away, you, you received that. Well, what Peter is describing here is something very similar. We receive an inheritance from our Heavenly Father. An inheritance, he said, that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. This emphasizes the inheritance that Christians wait for. It's eternal. And it's being kept in heaven by God himself. He's taking care of that for us. Which brings us to the second blessing that we have because of salvation. And that is our salvation is kept safe. Nobody can take it away. Nobody can damage it. Nobody can steal it. Nobody can offend it. Nobody can influence it. Nothing. God is taking care of it. It's safe. You know, we do a lot of things in this life to keep the stuff that we value safe, don't we? A few years ago, we had a home security system installed because when I would leave, my wife would get nervous. And so uh, when I would be traveling or, or out of town for whatever reason, she would get nervous. And so we had this installed just to give some peace of mind, comfort, that there would be a sense of security there. And not long ago, uh, I went to Nepal and on my way back, I got home and, and she said, you know, I just slept so good knowing that that system was in place to alert, you know, people. We do a lot of things like that, don't we? We buy safe deposit boxes or we rent them. We buy uh, home safes to put our valuables in. We do all kinds of things like that to protect the things that are valuable to us. While Anne was growing up, her family had a friend. He was an older Italian man. Anne's family is all Italian. And this, this guy was a friend of the family. He's a real good friend of her dad's. His name was Luigi Dunini. Okay, coolest name ever, right? And they used to, they'd say, Luigi, stand on your head. And Luigi was this little Italian guy, and they wanted him to stand on his head because when he did, the change would fall out of his pockets, and the kids would grab up the change. Change, that's uh, little coins. So those of you that are, you know, younger, you could Google that. But uh, they used to actually be valuable, right? Anyway, Luigi was a little unique. Not only did he stand on his head a lot to entertain the kids, but Luigi didn't trust banks, okay? He didn't trust banks at all to, to keep his money in or his valuables in. So what Luigi did was everything that was of value to him, he stored in a hole in the wall in his house. And he hid it. But that's, that was where he kept it. Now, honestly, I think that's crazy. That's not a very safe place. But for Luigi, that was where he kept things safe. Your salvation is much safer than Luigi's form of security. As Christians, we need to know that our salvation will be there when this life is over. Peter guarantees that God is keeping it safe. He goes on in verse 5. Look what he says in verse 5. Who through faith, he's talking about Christians, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. While God keeps our inheritance safe in heaven, our salvation is safe in heaven, Peter says that he also protects us until we receive it. He's watching over us. God is using his power to shelter Christians until they receive their inheritance, which gives us the third blessing that we have because of salvation, and that is God protects his children. God protects the Christian. God protects us. 
Steve was a great friend of mine in high school. We kind of met some, somewhere along the line in junior high, and we were involved in a lot of the same things. We became really good friends. We just naturally hit it off. But he and I were really different. I was 132 pounds soaking wet. And he was an offensive lineman on the high school football team. I mean, he was a man among boys. I think he started shaving in like the fifth grade. I'm not kidding. It was amazing. And any time I was with Steve, it was like I had my own bodyguard, you know? He always had my back, no matter what. And I, you know, I kind of was a little mouthy back then. I know that comes as a shock to a lot of you. But, you know, I could get in trouble. And then, I, you know, Steve was right there to kind of back me up. One day, I'm not kidding, out of the blue, and I have no idea why he said this. We never really talked about it after the fact. But this is what he said to me. Hey, If you ever need anyone beat up, just let me know. And you know what my response was? Cool. Yeah. All right. And I started thinking, you know. No, I honestly, the truth is this. What I heard when he said that was, I have your back. You can always count on me. I am right there with you. And I I will stand with you. I will protect you. I will protect you. God not only keeps your salvation safe, but he's also looking out for you so that one day you'll collect that heavenly inheritance. Verse 6 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now in view of what they had to go through, it was... It was challenging. It was painful. But Peter wants them to focus on something that may sound odd. That as Christians, no matter what the circumstances are, you can rejoice even when you're suffering. Now some of you go, that's crazy. Yeah, and they probably thought it was a little bit out there as well. But listen to what he has to say. Listen to the explanation. Peter is providing a basis on which Christians can learn to deal with trials even when they face, even when they face them, they can face them with rejoicing. At this point in the letter, we're only at verse 6, but we start to get a sense of why Peter wrote this letter. And you remember in the introduction last week, we kind of took an overview of the entire book. It It was then that we... We looked at these Christians who were in northern Asia Minor, what is modern-day Turkey today. They were under this terrible persecution, suffering tremendously because of Christ. And Peter wrote to them to encourage them to hang tough. Don't quit. Don't throw the towel and keep, keep on swimming. The trials that they were dealing with were not natural disasters like we're seeing all around the world today. You know, hurricanes, earthquakes, fires in California now. Just horrendous stuff. None of that was what they were dealing with. They were dealing with persecutions. Persecutions from the Roman government and persecutions from their pagan neighbors. These Christians are suffering because of their faith in Jesus. And they were under constant pressure to be unfaithful to him. People were trying to pull them out of their relationship with Jesus. But Peter reminds us of another blessing that we have because of salvation. And that is this. Trials last only for a little while, but salvation is eternal. 
Trials only last for a little while, but salvation is eternal. And this is where we got the title for this message, A Stranger for Just a Little While. Because we're just passing through. This isn't our home. We talked about that last week. This is just temporary. You know, when I was a youth minister, I would work three weeks of camp every summer. High school, junior high, and an elementary week. Do you know which one of those was the most difficult, without a doubt? Middle school, junior high. That was, I mean, it was, yeah, it was funny because in the first service, there was a guy sitting back here who was, he had, he had been a youth minister just recently. He's in seminary now. But he was sitting back there and he was laughing the whole time. And afterwards, he came up and he said, exactly, exactly know what you're talking about. Here's the deal. You have, first of all, in a middle school camp, junior high week of camp, you always have a bunch of kids that get homesick, and they cry and want to go home, and you're trying to convince them not to. And then you have all of these camp romances, and there's lots of drama with camp romances. I mean, because this series, you know you're in love in middle school, right? And then you have that one kid that just powers down all this candy at the canteen, and then at some point, he gets the launch codes, and he just hurls, right? And it, not always, but that's always kind of a cool part to me. And then... Then, middle school boys, notorious for not showering. Their parents go, why did my kid bring back eight pairs of clean underwear? Because you only packed eight pairs. If you'd packed 15, he'd have brought 15 back. They wouldn't shower. That's what this youth guy said to me. He goes, you did youth ministry before Axe Body Spray, didn't you? And I said, yes. And I said, I mean, I feel for you, dude. It is, there is a ripeness. I mean, when you think about the humidity and the heat that you get in a July summer, and you combine all of those things together... It's a challenging week. But here's the deal. I found myself really loving that week every year. But then when the, the planning would start for the next year's week, we'd start ramping up for it, and we'd start saying, oh, it's only a week. We can do this. We can do anything for a week, right? Even junior high camp, as terrible as it was. It was so rewarding. What Peter is writing to these Christians in Asia Minor is far, far more serious than just a week surviving a week of junior high camp. Peter describes their salvation that they waited for as imperishable and as unfading. By contrast, their trials are for a little while, he says. Our earthly troubles last for a little while. But our salvation lasts for all eternity. Look what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then he says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The sufferings that were brought about by evil people can't compare to the living hope that we have in our salvation. As bad as it would get, and for some of them, they actually paid the price with their lives. Some of them, their suffering and persecution led to their death. But it paled in comparison to the eternal awesomeness of heaven with the Lord for all eternity. In fact, the ones who died because of the persecution got to step into heaven before the rest. How great is that? Well, Peter goes on in verse 7. He says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. The persecutors intended these trials for evil. They wanted bad things to happen to the Christians. But God intended them for good. Listen to, listen to the, this blessing that comes as a result of our salvation. It's a truth. Salvation is worth enduring every challenge we face. It's worth it. In fact, the end results of these trials are similar, Peter says, to the process of refining gold. Gold ore is smelted through extreme heat in order to remove all the impurities and to expose the precious metal of gold. In a similar manner, trials serve to refine the Christian and to test his or her faith. When we go through these trials, we see what our faith is made of, don't we? We see what, we're, what we have to work with. And we, we recognize maybe we need to grow our faith. We need to trust God more. Peter emphasizes the importance of being faithful here. Just as gold is a perishable commodity, and no matter how valuable it might be to you in this life, you can't take it with you. On the other hand, genuine faith endures for eternity. And it will result, Peter says, in praise and glory and honor of our God. He goes on in verses 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, he's talking about these Christians in Asia Minor, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When faith is directed toward Jesus, Peter says, it produces joy in the Christian. Which brings us to the sixth blessing that we have as a result of salvation. And that is, focusing on Jesus gives joy. It gives joy. Without seeing Jesus, and these people had never seen him. Maybe they were so far away from where Jesus lived that they never had an encounter with him. Or maybe these were second generation. Some of them were second generation Christians. Whatever the case is, Peter's readers have come to love Jesus, not because they saw him, not because they interacted with him, but because they believed that he loved them enough that he was willing to die for them. They had heard the story, the gospel story. story. Christians don't rejoice because of suffering. That's, that's foolishness. But they rejoice because of the glorious expectation of their future with Jesus. Well, Peter wraps all this up in the, the last three verses of this section of Scripture. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. What's Peter talking about here? The entire Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is a narrative. And it's focused and it's centered on Jesus and God's plan for salvation. 
This message of salvation came through some prophets of the Old Testament who were led by the Holy Spirit. And when you read the story in the Bible, you realize the seventh blessing that we have because of salvation. And that is this. Salvation is a huge deal. It is significant. It's huge because God went to great lengths, phenomenal lengths. In fact, it's hard to fathom the lengths that he went, the distance he went, so that he could make salvation possible for you and I. According to Peter, salvation was of such great interest to the Old Testament prophets. These prophets wanted to know more about this. They only had a a piece of the picture. They didn't know the whole story. The salvation that Christians have today was such a huge deal that not only the prophets wanted to know more about it, but the angels in heaven also had an intense interest in it. And they didn't know the full story. Now why was this salvation such a big deal to them? Why was this such a huge deal to the Old Testament prophets and to the angels? It's because they knew that the Messiah would have to suffer in order that we might have salvation. They knew that. And the reason Jesus was willing to suffer and die for us was because man was so important to God. You. Me. Even that guy who's clear over here, the guy in your life who's as far from God as anybody you know, he is the farthest from God. In fact, you might even say he's evil. God wanted to have a relationship, not just with you and me, but with him. With him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, you, me, even people like that, and everybody in between, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. God's love for us is the reason we have salvation today. No matter what challenges you're facing, no matter what trials or hardships you're going through as a Christian, no matter what you're up against, even if it's sufferings, even if it's persecution, physical persecution, we got to press on. Peter's saying salvation is worth it. Don't quit. Peter's message to the Christians suffering in Asia Minor is a message for you and me today. And that is salvation is worth it. Don't quit. Keep swimming. God's love for you led to your salvation. All the blessings that come from it, all of them, are because God loved you. Because he loved me. And because he loved that guy who's about as far away from him as you can get. And the thing about it is, is that when you understand that love and you see that salvation was as a result of God's love for you, then you recognize it's worth pressing forward. It's worth fighting the good fight. It's worth staying in there regardless of the challenges that you face. It's worth continuing to swim. Don't quit. I don't know what you're facing today. I know some of you in this room are going through some real challenges. You're part of a family that they don't understand any of this Christianity stuff and they kind of put some some pressure on you to, you know, they make fun of you, they put you down. Maybe you work in a workplace where everybody is kind of on this far side, you know, the sinful side of life and they wonder why you don't jump in with them and they give you a hard time. Whatever the case is, I want to encourage you. The words of the Apostle Peter, don't quit. Salvation is worth it. 
Salvation is worth it. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. A grace that saves us even though we don't deserve it. Lord, we thank you for that salvation and for all the reasons that we see in this text to keep pressing on, to not quit, to keep swimming. God, we're thankful that we are part of your family as Christians and and you give us that second chance. We're not second class, though we get a second chance and we're so thankful, God. Thank you for the inheritance that you're storing for us in heaven. Someday we'll celebrate for all eternity with you. And Lord, for the way you protect us even when we're in the midst of trials. They only last for a little while. Even if they last our entire lives, they pale in comparison to eternity with you. Heaven, heaven is going to be worth it, God. We know. So help us to focus on you and find joy even in the midst of the struggle. I pray that for every person here who's finding themselves in the midst of a fight, in the midst of a difficult challenge, in a trial, maybe a tribulation, maybe even physical persecution. Lord, will you give them a picture today of what it means to hold on to you, to keep swimming, to not quit, and use this church to rally around them, to encourage them, to love them, to lift them up. God, we trust you today to see us through the challenges, just as you did these Christians in Asia Minor. God, we're going to hold on because you loved us and you gave us salvation. We trust you, God. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I know the world is tough, and if you have never taken that step to walk with Jesus, you know, you might consider the fact that what we've been talking about today is the Almighty God actually is going to see you through these things, no matter how tough they are. You don't have that promise if you're not part of the family of God. Some people say, oh, God is with me, and, and maybe He is kind of to, trying to direct you in certain ways, but... You don't have any of these promises if you're not part of his family. If you want to talk more about that, we're going to worship him. I'm going to be right down here to your right. I'd love to talk to you. Or maybe you just need somebody to pray with you this morning. I'd love to do that. Let's stand together and let's worship our King.